couple of weeks ago, I was minding my own business in my garage. I got a text message. Pulled out my phone. And the text message says, what would you think about preaching on a Sunday night when I'm out of town? Well, my mind goes into overdrive. I'm immediately coming up with points one, two, and three for why this is a bad idea and how I can say that is a kind offer, but I'm going to need to decline that request. So I put together my case, and I think I need some affirmation here. I need an audience. I need a jury. Say, Ingrid, take a look at this. Mm. Let's talk about this. Sit her down on the couch. Start in on my, my case. This is my trial, right? This is my trial that I was working on. I said, you know, it'd be one thing if the congregation was some country church who had a difficult-to-follow message every week and the bar was very low. But oh no, this, this congregation is spoiled. From the beginning, this congregation has had excellent preaching. This congregation, this is where I made my mistake, this congregation has had five talent preachers. Ingrid raises her head and makes eye contact and says to me, but even the one talent servant was expected to do something with it. So in one sentence, she took away my argument and she gave us the text for tonight's sermon. Some of you might have obligations after the service or appointments might be looking at the clock nervously, wondering if you're going to make it out. Tonight, I can assure you, you're going to make it out on time. So before we look into uh, this parable in Matthew 25, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you uh, with grateful hearts tonight for your word and for this parable. We thank you for these rich stories that told thousands of years ago can have application into our modern life. I pray that we would see that application tonight and that we would have the courage to soften our hearts and change what needs to be changed. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 25 tonight, but let's look back to Matthew 24. Uh, recently, uh, Peter was preaching on the end times, and that's Matthew 24. It's talking about the, uh, the end times, the the, uh, the end of the age in the new kingdom. Enjoyed that sermon series very much. If you haven't listened to it, you should definitely check that out. Those are difficult passages, and they're you know, making more sense as we go through them. So Matthew 25 contains three parables. The first one is the virgins with their lamps. The second one, the one in the middle, is the parable of the talents that we'll be talking about tonight. And the third one is the sheep and the goats. So these could be summed up with, be ready, don't waste your life, and God will sort it out in the end. So let's, th let's uh, start reading at, at uh, verse 14, and we'll just read through this and uh, point out some observations as we go. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his servants and delivered unto them his goods. So whenever we're reading in the Bible, it's useful to put ourselves, or try to put ourselves back into those people's minds. What, was, what did travel mean for them? Today, travel, we complain a lot about travel's grueling. Well, it's, it 
it's tiring, but it's not really grueling. And the, the distance that we're traveling is just fantastic, right? Back then, on land, the fastest thing for a common person was walking in a donkey, and they're about the same speed. And what's interesting to think about is there were no, you know, sort of um, technology shortcuts. Like, I could call California right now, right? That doesn't mean I can get there right now, but my voice, could, I could have communication with a distant place instantly. There was nothing on land faster than walking or a donkey. So when we think about travel, we need to think of it in their um, terms. So if you were thinking to take a journey, you know, say, hey, I want to go to Duluth for the weekend. So let's say we want to go to Duluth next weekend. Well, we would be needing to leave tomorrow morning because at 20 to 25 miles a day, it's going to take us that long to get to Duluth, as we think of as, you know, two hours if you're driving appropriately. And so just the, the whole scale of travel is also thinking about just looking at the United States. I can travel east 1500, over 1,500 miles, and everyone is going to be an American speaking English. I can travel west over 1,500 miles, and everyone is going to be an American speaking English, right? That was not the case then. You could travel a few miles and have different cultures and different languages. So you had all these barriers to travel, which made everything very slow. As a kid, I was in Africa uh, for a short uh, two short trips, and you could just be, you know, there were trade languages that hopefully everybody spoke, but just in the next village, you might have a different language. So we take these things for granted, but it's good to point out here, as we have a master who's going on a long journey. This also made me think about babysitting. So depending on, if you're taking someone's kid to babysit them, depending on the, uh, the, the temperament, the personality of that parent, that child may come with a three or four page handwritten document that, you know, is sort of your user guide for that manual. Child is, is crying, uh, page three, uh, paragraph two talks about that. As, as, those, as you, you know, start, you have all these instructions and, and, you know, like, never mind that you might have five kids that are all still alive. The, this parent needs to tell you how this kid works. Like, this kid's a different thing, right? You haven't babysat this kid before. Here's the book. Well, as, as you go on and as you babysit that child week after week, those notes drop off. That parent feels like you know that child, and that parent feels like you know their desires for that child. There is a trust that is gained over time. As we look at this passage, I feel like that's, that's what we're dealing with. You have the master, and you have these servants, and he's, the master isn't, isn't setting a set of uh, documents with them, but yet later on we'll read that the servants knew the expectations of the master. They knew that he was a hard man. They knew that uh, the performance of their stewardship would be judged, and they knew what scale that would be on, and they also knew that there would be consequences if uh, those things were not taken care of well. <clears throat> uh, verse 15, And unto one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. Now, this talks about talents. <clears throat> In the Bible, Bible times, talent was a measure of weight, and it was a measure of weight specific to precious metals, silver or gold. <clears throat> the weight was approximately was like 73 to 75 pounds, and trying to do conversions, don't bother, it's frustrating. You read one commentary and you think, ah, perfect, I have one answer. 
And then another has a different answer. And finally, you're just like, okay, nobody knows. That's fine. It was a lot of money. On the low end, this would be looked at as a soldier or a common laborer's annual salary. Uh, but on the upper end, it could be millions of dollars. So this, we, what we do know is it was a large amount of money. Uh, verse 16. Oh, one more thing on that. Um, the word talent, in our, our English word of talent, actually derives from this parable. The, the, the word talent was then a, a, a weight of money, but the way the story is told, it can be looked at as a natural gifting or ability, so the English language adopted the word talent as a natural gifting or ability. Verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had two, he also gained another two. But he that received one went, digged in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so, he that had received the five talents came and brought another five, saying, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five more talents. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Notice that none of these servants at any point tried to take a cut. There was never a question of whose talent this was. This was always the master's talent. And the servants always had that perspective of whatever I gain is not mine. It is to be returned to the master. Then he which received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went, and I hid the, thy talent in the earth. Lo, thou hast what is thine. Now, the, the story doesn't tell us that the, the one talent servant was ashamed. But I think that at this point in the story, I think he is ashamed because he's just seen a five-talent servant and two-talent servant double and give back to the master. But I can imagine that as this is going on, there's not necessarily a daily accounting for this. And from the one-talent servant's perspective, you know, you could say, hey, I, I, was, I was nervous, I was scared. And I knew that this guy was a harsh guy, and so I, what I did is the safest thing I could think of, and so I was really deliberate about this. I was careful. I waited until the dark of night comes, and I don't know, about, I don't know if you know this, but there are some wild beasts around here, and I braved them. I went into the dark. There were beasts. I went off into the jungle there, and I dug quietly, because digging is loud, right? It took me forever to dig this hole, because I did it very quietly, like I was escaping a cell dig this hole, I bury the treasure, I make sure that nobody is around, I did it in the dark, I make sure nobody's around, nobody knows, cover it all up, I back up, I have a palm frond, and I'm there swishing my footprints away, very, very careful. I'm a man who's tempted to tattle and tell secrets, but oh no, not on this secret. I 
sealed lips. I didn't tell anybody what I did with that money. It was, it was safe with me. I was also concerned that I might spend the money. I mean, you've got this you know, money bag, and boy, there's a lot of things that my family could use, but I did not want to waste that money and spend it and be punished for that. So I thought, what's the safest thing I can do? I'm going to get it out of my hands, and I'm not going to be tempted by it. I'm not going to tell any of my friends. I'm just going to hide it, and it will be safe. And how could the pastor be upset by me giving back exactly what I received? His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take, therefore, from the talent from him, and give, to, give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath, that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there's three things that I want you to do with your talents tonight. I want you to think about three things. The first thing that we want is to define your talents. And the second thing is to devote your talents. And the third is to develop your talents. Let's talk about defining your talents and what they might be. So we talked about the English word talent being a natural ability or gifting. So this, 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 this uh, parable teaches us that our main focus in ministry should be those things which come easy to us, those things that God has blessed us with, those things that we can have the most productivity. If you think of leverage and moving something, God has given you longer bars and shorter bars. And we want to grab the longest bar, this is the most talent, to move that goal forward. So what areas of your life would you say are your five talent areas? We think of athletic gifting. This summer, we had a sports camp for the, uh, the young men in the church. I noticed that nobody asked me to uh, lead any of those events wisely. Uh, but that's a way that men in the church can say, hey, I'm going to teach this skill to these young men. And it was great. My boys enjoyed it much. Eric Little, 1924 Olympics, had a world stage. And certainly his athletic ability was one that he viewed as a talent, was not using it for himself. He was using it for God's glory. Uh, the, uh, the, um, I think it was 100 meter was what he was trained in, and that was going to be on a Sunday. He said, I'm not able to run on a Sunday, so I'll take another race that I'm not as well uh, suited for and then ended up becoming a missionary and inspiring a generation of missions work and awareness of that, of what God can do with somebody. Um, sometimes uh, men will have, uh, you know, go to the local park, play pickup games, witness there. Um, Romans and Corinthians talk about spiritual giftings, teaching, encouraging, mentoring young believers. Paul talks about different parts of the body making up the whole. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 we have different spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As many men hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, talents might be resources. So things like money or your house or other property. Uh, we should be generous 
uh, with our funds. Remember, the widow's might is everything that we have that God has given us available to God. Are we ready to return to the master all that he has entrusted us? Generous with hosting. Hebrews 13.2 Be not forgetful to, enter, to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Back when I was a kid, cars broke down a whole lot more than they do now. And we would be driving somewhere, and 100% of the time, my dad would stop, and my dad would help them with whatever they needed. If we were driving somewhere, car was broken, it's like, oh, we're going to stop. And then it's so exciting as a kid, like, what's going to happen? My dad, no doubt, uh, helped out some angels unawares over the years. Um, one of the biggest influencing factors in my life, as I look back growing up, was the many people who opened their house to me. And I would, you know, just happen to arrive at like 5.47 p.m. And, hey, look at that. The house smells like fresh baked goods. <laughs> what are the chances? Day after day, this happens. And, and nobody, you know, ever turned me away. And were always kind to me. I'm always uh, very grateful for that. Uh, we should be generous with our time. I think as we grow older, we recognize that time is our you know, most valuable um, asset. But I, I, I don't often think of it as a talent that is to be invested for the kingdom. We all have the same number of hours in the day, which is always funny when people say, I don't have that kind of time. It's like, actually you do. Let me, let me, let me show you. <laughs> You're watching his watch. They're the same. They have the same hours. But it should be convicting if we see someone who is very productive and we feel like we're being idle with our lives. Um, that is a talent that we should be returning to the master. When scheduling conflicts occur, how are those things prioritized? How do we decide what we do and what we're not able to do? How easy is it for us to clear our schedule for someone in need? I'm so often convicted of this as just I see other believers dropping everything to help somebody. I think, oh, I better do that too. But yes, everything that we have time-wise should be um, at the disposal of the master. Now let's talk about talent as an opportunity. So 40-some years ago, there was an opportunity to start a church. The bad decisions of one church opened up an opportunity for Straightgate to be founded. And so when we are going through our life and we see an opportunity to step forward in faith and do something difficult or hard or maybe risky, uh, we should take that step. Ingrid and I were involved in a uh, church plant that realized that uh, thousands of international students would come to the University of Minnesota every year. So you had this mission field flying to Minneapolis-St. Paul and spending time and also being in kind of a mode of, I'm going to another country and I want to learn the culture and what, the, and I think they do God there. I think that's a thing. So they're open, you know, open hearts and very interested. That's an opportunity. We should take those opportunities. Now, hearing of the, hearing of the gospel, this is... Um, this is one that I, I had not thought of. But when, when we hear the gospel, that is a talent that is given to us. And it is up for us to decide what are we going to do with it. Same with grace. We have received grace. Do we hold on to that grace? Do we hide that grace? Or are we ready to give it away to others? When it comes to grace, we do not want to be like that one talent servant. A couple weeks ago, um, Peter was talking about Judas and in closing, he said, the grace that is extended to you will either save you 
or condemn you. Judas lived his life around Jesus. He learned so much. He had so much opportunity to learn and to change and to take on what Jesus was learning. That grace that was extended to him, he decided to bury that and instead chose his own way and ended up killing himself. Now we also all have different levels of authority, personality, and influence. We've all been disappointed by different Christian leaders or politicians. So when we're in a position of authority, how are we behaving? Are we, are we uh, inspiring other people to be more like the master? So we talked about defining our talents. Next, next, let's talk about devoting your talents. D.L. Moody said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. When I was uh, 12 and 13, like I said, uh, my family took two short missions trips to Sierra Leone, West Africa. And when we came back from that, we would go around to different churches in our denomination, and we would do a slideshow. Kids, if you imagine a big phone, like on the wall, and then you could be back there and slip through pictures, that was a slideshow. After the slideshow, we would take we would uh, take questions, and there was one question that we just about always got, and I was always hoping we would get it, because my dad would immediately make these people regret they asked the question. And these poor people, like, they're just asking a question. Hand would go up, dad would call them. Was your family safe when you were in Africa? Because we're showing, like, the most exciting slides, right? This was, like, the, the snake with his head blown off, and, just, you know, just things that you just don't think of here. My dad would say, there is no safer place than being in the center of God's will. And you just see that person sort of sink down into the, the pew. Like, yeah, dad, got him. And I guess that really stuck with me because when this point, when I was working on this point, this is the first thing I thought of was dad saying, there is no safer place than in the center of God's will. God expects us to use what he's entrusted for his glory. The point of the talents is to be used for the master and the kingdom. If there's a missions trip or some opportunity that you have, you should step through that door with courage. It's, uh, it's not a good habit to be playing it safe and slowing down. Those talents are to be devoted. Devote your talents and don't compare them to others. There is a temptation, now more than ever, to be looking around and to be comparing your talents with other people. This is, this is a dangerous thing. It's something to be avoided. Uh, if, you, if you see that you are measuring up or you're doing what you would say is better than them, you're going to be tempted to pride. And if you look at them and you say, oh, wow, I am a small fish in this pond. I am a one-talent preacher. I can't see the bar from where I am. Then you're going to be tempted to be depressed and discouraged about it. And don't be envious of the person with more talents than you. More is expected of them. So we've defined our talents. We've talked about devoting our talents. Let's talk about developing your talents. If that text had said, what do you think about playing the organ when I'm out of town? I could have very easily said, well, that's not a thing. I, I'm not able to do that. I have some suggestions for you. But 
those one talent areas are areas that we are, you know, we don't have the most leverage, but there are things that we can do. There are things that we can do for the uh, master. And while it isn't really the point of this parable to use your one talent areas, we do see that in the Bible. God did not choose uh, the, the most eloquent speaker to lead his people out of Egypt. God did not choose the strongest, tallest, most powerful warrior to take down Goliath. And Gideon was not the bravest man in the land, but God cho chose each of those guys to do great things. So that brings us to us. You may or may not have noticed that Straygate is not the largest church in the Twin Cities metropolitan area. Uh, but we tend to make up for that size with the activity level of the ministry. And so I think that there are a lot of times where you're going along and you see something that needs to be done and you think, one way or the other, you think this, that is an area that I'm a one-talent servant in. And my challenge tonight <clears throat> is to take those one-talent areas and to work on them. Maybe it's something that you're not comfortable doing. Maybe you can think of three other people in the church who would be better at it. Are you living with risk or are you wasting your life? One pastor, one sermon that I listened to said, no, re no risk for God, no reward from God. When was the last time you did something that made you nervous using a talent that God has given you? I can answer that. Do you look at yourself as the owner of these talents or just the steward of them? 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now I think there are real benefits to exercising these one-talent areas. So I think that I felt like I was already grateful to Peter for the time that he puts in to sermons. But men who have uh, substituted, are you more grateful now? Can I have an amen? I've, I've always wanted to do that, and that kind of went flat. I was, I was, can I have an amen? Thank you. Um, but boy, let me tell you, when you're doing something that is making you stretch, you become so grateful to those people who do that on a regular basis. Um, I think there are real benefits. So we stretch and grow in ways that we would not have otherwise. We rely on God's strength and our weakness. We're humbled by, because we're not polished. Like these are areas that we're not very good. And so, <laughs> yep, I made a mistake. It's, you know, embarrassing and I need to get over that. Our kids or the next generation sees you doing things that are making you uncomfortable. So the next time you say, I want you to do that, they're not going to be able to say, well, you wouldn't. Well, okay, I guess I, guess I better do that, right? We, avo we avoid becoming complacent and doing things that come easy for us. And like I said, I feel so grateful to anybody who is coming up and preaching because now I have gone through the process. And, I'm, uh, and, and for that matter, Tabitha and the kids. Like, there's a lot of time involved in preparing a sermon, and that's time away from family. So it makes you very grateful. How can we be upset with each other over the color of the carpet or whatever silly thing when we're feeling this gratitude for the people who are playing the music or teaching Sunday school? It doesn't really have a, 
a place in our heart if we're just filled with gratitude for what they're doing. Um, I think of the moms, everything you do. When I'm uh, home alone and a kid comes to me with those hungry eyes, I just think, oh man, thank you Ingrid for all that you do to keep this place running. Each servant was given the same opportunity to be faithful in what they were given. And tonight, we have to look at what we've been given, and we have to ask ourselves, in what ways are we being faithful? In what ways are we putting those talents to work? In what ways are we multiplying those talents? And there probably are some areas in our lives, I know in preparing for this, I just thought, oh man, I totally am doing this in this one area. Like, ah, oh, uncomfortable. But we have to look at ourselves and how we're living and decide how are we handling the talents that God has given us. Are we giving them back? Are we multiplying them? Are we hiding them and playing it safe? 